0: St. Thomas Aquinas said that the weakest form of argumentation is one that is based on an appeal to authority. Kind of like the one I'm making here at the very beginning. You should believe this because St. Thomas was a saint and he was wise. Believe it. But it's easy enough to demonstrate through experience. I know it from Thomas the Priest saying, Well, the church teaches, well, that is not held in very high esteem, even amongst Catholics. Many of you know it from being parents. At a certain time, you could say, well, because mom said so. But that only works to a certain age, and then it seems less effective for some reason. The first reading gives a nod to this. It is the decision of the Holy Spirit and us. Wow, that's a significant statement. I mean, Can you imagine? Saying to your spouse, It is the decision of the Holy Spirit and me. (laughs) Yes. But your spouse is not an apostle. They were given the Spirit for this purpose, partly for this purpose, to act on God's behalf. You know, they were addressing a disturbance caused by people preaching and teaching without a mandate. Now immediately we can see how important a mandate, official commissioning, was to the earliest Christians. It was part of their self-understanding, the understanding of Christ's own community, that there had to be a connection between them and the ones that they sent out and Christ. For them, there, there were no startup preachers or communities. No independent contractors. No, there had to be this connection. Without an official commission, a mandate, disturbance arises. This persists in the Catholic Church. We saw it today at our seminarian, George Rhodes' ordination to the diaconate, in which he was officially commissioned, mandated by the bishop, to preach the gospel. That was very visible with the handing on of the book, The Gospels but it occurs through the bishop's laying on of his own hands. In Latin, it's mandus, which is the root word for mandate. Without that, without that mandate, well, there's a disconnect between those who are out preaching and Christ himself. Now, we can be sympathetic, it seems to me, to those who were disturbed. I mean, just think of how many hundreds and hundreds of years that community engaged in those practices handed down through Moses. I mean, their whole identity was wrapped up in those, and now they're questioned. Do I really need to do them? God had entered into a relationship, special relationship, with Abraham. Abraham believed, and it was credited to him. God drew people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he entered into a covenantal relationship with them in the desert, through which came his commandments, which are a just way of living with one another. He provided for them the manna in the desert, water from the rock, And he dwelt with them in the tent as they marched through the desert and then finally in the temple. And then even after the temple was destroyed, they were exiled and returned. They still looked forward and hoped the time in which God would return and dwell definitively with his people. I mean, that final fulfillment is captured In our second reading from Revelation, here's this holy city. Where does it come from? From the earth? No, it doesn't come from the earth. It's not something of man's creation, but it descends from above. And in there, in this promised place, there is no temple because God dwells there and illumines everything through the Lamb. The Lamb whose word is to be followed. What's being suggested there is that all that was foreshadowed through Moses, even his own words that said that God will raise up a prophet after my own likeness who will supersede me, is fulfilled in Jesus. So now there is no need to follow those mosaic practices But to follow jesus if you follow him who fulfilled the law then you too fulfill the law and not only that but as you heard jesus say if you keep my words something of that final state in which god dwells definitively with his elect will happen in you god will dwell in you that's the gist of the official letter in the first reading. That's what they were getting at. That's why you don't need to follow the Mosaic practices because the law has been fulfilled and Jesus, follow him and you'll fulfill the law and experience already that final state. Which brings us back to where we began. It is a decision of the Holy Spirit and us, which apparently was not enough. For what do they do? They chose trusted representatives, Judas and Silas. They chose individuals that the community to whom they were sending that letter already knew and trusted, which was a common practice. Here, they can verify what's going on in this letter. We can believe them because we know them. We know what kind of people they are. And so the words that they pass on to us can be believed. It reminds me of a document in Vatican II on priests, in which it says that it's true that God can work and does work through sinful priests. But he finds it much more effective and fruitful to work with holy priests, ones whom the people trust and find credible. Friends, we have been entrusted with that which came down from Christ through the apostles. But you are in positions that I can never be, in your work, and in the intimacy and privacy of your homes, with your friends around people that would find you much more credible than they would find me, giving you the precious opportunity to make what has been handed on credible, believable. He's entrusted you with this extraordinary mission. And the question becomes finally, What is it that you believe is true?